You'll please take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 30. The last few weeks we've been in passages where it's, you kind of read it and go, this doesn't make sense. So we're going to try to unpack it a little bit and try to apply it um, to our lives. But as we begin, I, I want you to think of those favorite movies that you have, a favorite book, um, stories that you like to hear over and over. Um, we had a, a youth who was in our church out in Colorado that was here with his wife and new uh, baby daughter for the last couple of days and uh, just popping in for a few hours as we got to see him. But one of the things is inevitably all the stories of things that um, people did and that we remember and laugh about. It's just part of our heritage. It's part of our culture, right? Well, I want you to apply that to this passage because I want you to think of like the grandkids coming to Grandpa Jacob and saying, Hey, Grandpa, tell us again when you took care of that mean Uncle Laban. And he said, well, now, children, you sit down and we'll talk about mean Uncle Laban when he tried to use me and abuse me. And I took his daughters from him and the lambs and how God blessed me. See, I I want you to think about that because God puts narratives in the Bible so that we might grasp and understand the truths that he's trying to tell us. And so we're going to try to unpack this passage this morning, and hopefully I'll answer some questions, and others I'll leave unanswered, and we'll just have to wait for God to tell us what he meant. But let's pray as we go to the scripture this morning. Heavenly Father, this is your word And Father, it's the Holy Spirit that speaks through me and to us. And so, Father, I ask that it would be clear and concise. Or that I would speak just the truths of your scripture. And then, Father, apply it. Teach us. But more than anything, transform us into the likeness of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. So the first thing I want you to see is found in verses 25 through 28. And it's the request to return home. And again, Jacob has come to Laban. He's worked his 14 years. He's had uh, his two wives given to him. He's had his number of children. And he's had now given to Rachel, Joseph. And this is a big deal. So all of his Wives now have had children. And so as he's finished his time, he's asked, can I now go home? He's finished his work. And he doesn't ask for anything. I want you to understand that he doesn't ask for anything besides what he has worked for. His wives and his children. Now I do think there's another reason why he's wanting to maybe go back home. And remember his mom said, leave for just a little while. His mom thought that she would see him very soon. And yet it's going to be 20 years by the time that Jacob comes home with all of his belongings and his mom would have been gone. But I do believe that there is a sense of covenant responsibility 
where God entered into that covenant relationship and he was given the blessings from his father, I do believe that there is something within Jacob that has a yearning to go home. Not just physically to go home, but to spiritually go home. He needs to fulfill his responsibility in the blessings that God has given to him. And as we begin to see the return in that light, we should be seeing in the midst of this passage how God blesses in this. We see, first of all, the blessings of God, both personally and then to the nations. Personally, he blesses um, Jacob. Remember, Jacob leaves with only a staff. That's all he has. He doesn't take anything from his father. He doesn't take any provisions. And when he gets in the relationship with God, he says, God, if you just simply take care of my just immediate needs. If you feed me, if you clothe me, if you allow me to come home, then I'll let you be my God. Now we see how wrong that is in one sense, but there is a sense in which he grasped and understood. He didn't deserve the blessings of God. And yet what he receives from God is he receives many wives and the children, and he doesn't ask for anything more. But he also is a blessing to the nations. And remember, God, again, in his relationship with Jacob said, you are going to be a blessing to all people. Now, we have to understand that Laban was blessed because of Jacob. And we know that. And he says, by divination, did he know that he was being blessed because of the God of Jacob? Now, again, do we understand what that means? No, because usually you have divination in regards to the future. But somehow... Laban, who's not seemingly so smart sometimes, figured out I'm being blessed and I'm being blessed by the God of Jacob. And so he doesn't want Jacob to leave. But Jacob knows that it's by his God that he's being blessed. And so Jacob um, starts to say, I have, when I came, that's when you started to be blessed. You had little and now you have an overabundance. You've become rich because of me. Now that does lead to us to ask the question, should we be praying for the place where we're at? And the answer is yes. Jeremiah 29 says we are to pray to the Lord on the behalf of the place where we are. Because it's on, we find our welfare in the midst of the welfare of the city. So does that mean we should be praying for the space center? Yes. Should we be praying for Patrick Air Force Base? Yes. Should we be praying for Harris and Grumman and um, our school system? The retirement community, should we be praying that God blesses them? Yes. Because in the midst of the welfare of this area, we find our welfare. And not just us individually, but for God's kingdom. One of the things, um, as I was talking to somebody this, this week, was he said how blessed we are to be in the specific area where we are in central Florida and not in Orlando, not in a place like uh, that's being devastated and where people are being laid off by the, by the droves. We have people who are under contracts. And he said even the contracts uh, for houses are continuing to go up. Land still being sold here in Brevard County. He said, and it shouldn't be. And so we want to continue to pray that God blesses our area. And not just so that we can be comfortable, but that we can build God's kingdom and use his wealth. Plunder the Egyptians. 
By all means, let's take as much non-Christian money and use it to build God's kingdom. So pray for the blessings of God. And as he begins to grasp this, Laban then uh, begins to kind of recruit Jacob. And I want you to see that because he tells Jacob, name your wages. You tell me, what is it going to take to keep you here? And you can hear the salesman. What is it going to do to get you into this car? What am I going to do? And the amazing thing is, is that, again, as we've heard throughout the, the series, Laban's not treating Jacob like family. He's treating him more like a slave. He should have been giving stuff to Jacob, trying to take care of his sister's son. But he has treated him like a slave. He's abused him. He's lied to him. And so we get to the place where, again, he's being used. But there's a reality because you recruit a lot of times with the best, right? Let us show you the best that we have. But when you take the job, you see the reality. And the reality for Jacob is that he doesn't want wages this time. And this is very telling. It's a little shrewd. He says, I don't want to work for wages. I want to provide for my family. Now, at this point, he goes to a, what I call a question of honesty in verses 29 through 36. He begins to make a deal with Laban. Now, he wants to provide for his family. Now, part of it is he's not trying to become wealthy. I want you to understand that he's not seeking to become wealthy. But Jacob's also not a derelict in his duty. He's been shown to be a hard worker. And Laban has prospered. So he enters in um, to a deal. As Laban has been provided for, he enters into a deal. And I ask the question, or I put a question mark there, because is this an unwise deal? Because a lot of times um, people talk about making a distinction of it's just business. So it, was this an unwise deal? Apparently, it would seem that it's dis, it, dis, adv, he was disadvantaged in the arrangement. But does Jacob truly have faith in God at this point? Or is he entering into a shrewd deal? I'm telling you, it's, it's hard. I'm not exactly sure. I know what scripture tells us from Matthew 6, 25 through 33. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Whoops. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to your span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Was that where Jacob was? I I, I don't think so. But I don't know. I do think there was an aspect of faith to Jacob. He obviously had an encounter with the Lord. But I also don't think Jacob is completely out of the understanding of what his name means. The deceiver. And that's part of the dilemma. Was he truly honest in his dealings with Laban? Or was he just shrewd? Again, I'm not sure. You know, it's one of those situations where we've had people over in our, in our um, area across the street who've gotten new roofs. Numbers of people have gotten new roofs. How did you get a new roof? Oh, well, our insurance company paid for it. Well, why did your insurance company pay for it? Because we had hail damage that came through our county at one point. Well, yeah, but that was in Cocoa. We didn't get any hail damage here. Well, but the insurance company doesn't know about it. So they can't say that our roofs weren't hit by hail. So we make the claim, and I know there's insurance people in here. Stop listening. Okay? Because it starts to put me in a dilemma. Well, I need a new roof. I don't want to spend thousand dollars out of my own pocket. Maybe I need to call my insurance company. Well, I don't think that's right. I don't think we had hail damage on our roof. So why would I circumvent the system and make my insurance company pay when I don't think they need to? But then there were other Christian people that came to me and said, well, you've been paying your insurance company for years. This is what they're supposed to do. Well, I started going, huh, maybe that's true. Maybe God is giving me a free roof from the insurance company. See, I don't have a problem if if somebody says, hey, do you want to get all you can from your taxes from the government? If I go and give stuff away to a a thrift store or whatever, they go, do you want this for tax receipts? You're, You're darn right I want it. I don't want to give the government any more money than I have to. But where's my heart in this? Am I circumventing something for my own good? I'll let you wrestle that one out over lunch. Because I don't know the answer, to be honest. But Jacob says something to Laban, which is very telling And to me, very shocking. He says, you will know my righteousness by this deal. Now, again, if you're talking about anybody, Jacob's the last person we should talk about being righteous. He's lied. He's stolen. He's abused. So it's very shocking to me that he says, you will know my honesty. Because I can't cheat you with these sheep and goats. All you have to do is look. If they're speckled and spotted, they're mine. If they're pure, they're yours. I can't cheat you. And so he enters into this agreement. And so he says, you're going to know my honesty. But let's look at Laban's response. He distrusts. And I think Laban does this because Laban is dishonest. So Laban says, I don't trust anybody. 
And so what does Laban do? He makes the deal and then he goes to his flocks and he says, you know what? All the speckled and spotted, get him out. And I'm going to give them to my sons and I'm going to take them so far away, three days journey away, so there can't even be an inkling of them coming back and breeding together. I'm going to abuse Jacob in this situation. So he does it. He takes all the speckled and the spotted, he removes them, puts them into his son's hands, takes him a three days. Now in the midst of this, I want you to understand, as he's being wise in his own eyes, how God uses it to be a blessing. Who's looking over top of Jacob now? Nobody. Jacob can do what he wants to do with the flocks he's been given. Now we enter into a part of this passage where you look at this and I kind of go, what the heck is going on here? Verses 37 through 43, there's, it's very weird where Jacob starts to take sticks of trees and begins to put it in water while the flocks start to come. Now, before we get to that part of the passage, um, I want to talk about work for a little bit because I do think this is an application of the passage. Jacob enters into hard work, and what he doesn't do, which is what we see so much of in this world, is he doesn't say, it's unfair. Listen, he doesn't argue that Laban has already cheated him. In our day and age, we would say, Jacob, you don't owe this man anything. Take the flocks that you want. You deserve those flocks with your wives and your children. You deserve them. You go and you do whatever you want to do. But he doesn't do that. He also doesn't uh, say, I'm not going to work for Laban because I know what he's going to do. He stole stuff from me in the past. He's going to steal from me in the future. Fool me once, fool me twice. I'm not going to work. He doesn't do that. He also doesn't say, you know what, Laban, I'm not going to work for you because I trust God. So I'm just going to believe that he's going to take care of me. No, he works and he works hard. And the question for us and the application for us is we should never see work as demeaning or meaningless. Even in the garden. Even in the new heavens and the new earth, there is going to be work. And it's going to be fruitful. And things are going to work the way they're supposed to work. And there's not going to be the effects of the curse. And remember what it says in scriptures where the children are play with the snakes? Wait, isn't that going to be a cool day? Where you're going and you don't have to always ask for the people down the street. Hey, hey, can Susie come out and play with me? You're going to be able to go to the snake's hole and say, hey, is Slytherin able to come out and play? Cool. Heaven's not going to be boring. It's not just up there with heavens and harps. It's going to be a place where we will enjoy perfectly. But work is a part of that. And so don't ever see it as demeaning or meaningless. We work, why? As to the Lord. So we render service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. 
knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. God is the source of the blessing. We work to his glory, to his honor. And when that happens, it's him who brings the prosperity. Now again, people are all over the map in regard to this idea of, of the wood and being stripes and having the whiteness being there. You have ones that think, hey, this is just a wives' tale. This is what just everybody was doing during the time, just like with the mandrakes. They thought, hey, if you have some mandrakes, you get pregnant. You put some white wood into some water, you come out speckled. So maybe it is just a wives' tale. There are others, literally, who think that Jake was so aware of zoology and biology that he knew exactly how to breed spotted and speckles. The reality is a blessing of God. Now, it doesn't mean that Jacob doesn't continue to work, and it doesn't mean that he's not industrious, he's not ingenious. He doesn't, it, God doesn't squash our thinking and, and having dreams. He doesn't squash that. But we have to remind ourselves that the blessings come from God. We are prospered and he was prospered in an extraordinary way. Why would God bring speckled and spotted from those that shouldn't have borne them? It's God. And I want you to understand that God gives us a comprehensive blessing. He blesses us in regards to family. He blesses us in business. He blesses us in relationships. But he also blesses us in little things. God, please let my TV work. God, please don't let my power go off during this storm. God, please let me get a good parking space. God, please allow me to minister with just a dinner. God, please, in little things, God cares and so he's comprehensive in his blessing and that's an amazing thing for us to to grasp and understand but how do you apply this besides just being a better worker so what about this narrative what i want to bring you to the foolishness of the cross because there was a great deceiver in the garden and satan seeks And he whispers in our ears and he makes things sound good. He can even make things sound loving. Just love everyone. It doesn't matter how they live. It doesn't matter what they do. Just love everyone. Well, that sounds really good. But it's deceiving. We can't live that way. And he deceives us in all different areas. Everything that God blesses. And remember, Satan's seeking to destroy. So he attacks the family. He attacks you in your business. He attacks you in relationships. He attacks you in little things. He attacks you when you're thinking you're going to get that good spot. And you have your blinker on. And you're waiting. And you're being nice to the person. And somebody comes in the opposite way. Not even the way they're supposed to. And they sneak into your thing. What do we do then? Is God less to be praised? Is God's blessings gone? Or do we hit their car because we have good insurance? That'll teach them. Or do we stop and pray for them? 
Father, they don't, maybe they don't even know any better. Father, forgive them. Forgive me. I'm glad you got the better spot today. Because maybe you needed it more than I did. That's hard. That's hard because we want it. We want it. The blessings for ourselves. And God says, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Well, how does that happen? It's because God takes the foolishness and it displays it on the cross. Do we grasp and understand the foolishness of God who sends his only son? He sends his only son. And he freely gives his life for us. And again, I want to continually remind you, he gets nothing more except sinners. He had as much glory. He had as much honor. He had as much wealth. He had nothing lacking in heaven. The only reason why he gives his life as a ransom for us is because he loves sinners. And that's foolishness. And he goes to the cross and he pays for our sins so that the, in his, the only time in his ever existence does he cry out, my God, my God. It's the only time he doesn't call him dad. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's for us that he bled and died. And then he gives us the foolishness of loving sinners. Of which we all are sinners. So do we cry out to God? And I want you to understand this. The Bible doesn't tell us to go back and and tell Uh, the stories of scripture over and over again. The the thing that he tells us to tell over and do over and over again is what? It's the Lord's Supper. Tell the story of how Christ loved us so much. He bled and died and gave his life as a ransom and then gives to us his righteousness. That's the story of the good news of the gospel that we should go back just like little kids and say, tell me that story again. Tell me the good story how Jesus bled and died for me. Never tire of the gospel. Apply it every day and live it out and let people know there is something different about you. What is it? And then give them the answer. It's Jesus Christ and him alone. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would forgive us when we think we've figured you out or we figured the system out. Lord, forgive us when we think that the wealth and prosperity that you've given to us has been because of our talent or our minds or our wisdom in financial giving and financial direction. Father, keep us humble to know that the blessings 
for all things come from you. And Father, we do pray for our city and our businesses, and Lord, we do pray that you would prosper them. But not just for us. Lord, we pray that you would prosper them so that we can build your kingdom here. And Lord, even use the money to build your kingdom around the world. And Father, allow us to be good workers. Lord, let there be something truly different about us in our places of business. Lord, that people would notice that we don't cut corners, that we don't gripe and complain, Lord, that we do above and beyond what we're called to do. And then when asked, Lord, that we would provide them with the answer and not worry about being fired. But we tell them the good news of Jesus Christ. But more than anything, Father, we thank you for the foolishness of the cross. Father, let us not listen to the lies of Satan. But Father, may we praise you truly praise you this morning, not not just going through the motions, not just singing the songs, but Lord, may it come from hearts that are changed by the truth of the gospel message. That you loved sinners and Jesus gave his life to redeem us and has given to us the Holy Spirit so that we can come boldly into your presence. Thank you for your blessings. May we never take them for granted, for we pray this in Christ's holy name and in the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.